um, like Berlin said, we're the traveling team, and we literally are the traveling team. We pack up our lives and travel for about eight months out of the year from campus to campus all across the U.S., talking to students about God's heart for the world all throughout the Bible. And so tonight, we're actually going to have two different parts. Part one is going to be here in a second when Wes comes up, and he's literally going to go all the way through the Bible, like from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So get excited. We're going to be here for like four hours. It's going to be great. No, just kidding. It'll take like 20 minutes. It's awesome. Um, but he's going to walk through outlining where God talks about his heart for the world throughout Scripture. And then after that, about five minutes after the meeting, we're going to meet in a big group and go to part two in Woodworth. And that's where we're going to talk about how do we apply this? How do we get practical? Whether we're a freshman and we're here for the first time or we're a senior and we're getting ready to graduate. So stay tuned for that. And um, I'll share a little bit more details about that later. But with that, welcome up Wes. Hey guys, like she said, uh, my name is Wes. I'm from Illinois. I went to Illinois State. All right. <laughs> um, but my wife, Natalie, uh, she is from Oklahoma. And so over the years, I've had to spend a lot of time down there, uh, hanging out with family and stuff. And so I've learned a lot about Oklahoma, a lot about it. But there's one thing about Oklahoma that no matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I try, I cannot forget this. And that is Oklahoma, in the spring, has the worst weather in the world. The worst weather, because every single day, there's a tornado, hail, and flash floods. Every single day. And somehow, somehow I always find myself in Oklahoma in the spring. And this past May, we had to be there. We were there for a whole week, visiting her family, and then going to a friend's wedding. And so all I wanted to do the whole week was leave. Like, get me out of here. Let me go back to Illinois. I'm tired of it. I was surrounded by tornadoes, hail, and flash floods. I just wanted to get out of there. But we had to stay, had to stay for this wedding. So finally, the wedding rolls around. It's the last day. Like, I'm leaving that night. So I am excited. I'm like, let's get this wedding on. Let's go. We pull up to the wedding. It's out in the country. It's beautiful out. Like, there's a nice meadow in the back. But as soon as the wedding starts, as soon as it starts, downpour. That meadow became a river. Like, I am ready to get out of here. I'm just like, let's go. Finally in the reception, the middle of the reception, we decide to leave. Like, we're getting out of there early. But we're about to walk out to our car when the DJ makes an announcement. He gets on the mic and says, if you decide to leave, if you leave now, make sure at the intersection you go right. Go right at the intersection. Because if you go left, there's some flooding on the road. So... We get in our car, drive up to the intersection, and I have a decision to make. Do I go right like the DJ told me, or do I go left? Now, I knew. I knew the fastest way to get back to Illinois, the fastest way to get to the interstate, to get back home where it's comfortable, convenient, like where was I wanting to be was to go left. The interstate was only a few miles down the road. If I, if I went right, I'd have to spend another, like, 30 minutes in Oklahoma. i got to get out of here. I don't have that time. So what do I do? 
I go left, obviously. It's the only decision I had. I had to go left. So we're going, and, like, we're out in the country of Oklahoma. So, like, this is the road that every country song is singing about, okay? Like, back roads, Oklahoma, all right? We're driving through puddles, and I'm like, all right, this is no problem. Drive through one, two. I got this. Then I drive through a puddle. Turns out to be four feet deep, and I total our brand-new car. Like, water soaking up through the floor. Like, there were, like, eight inches of water in our car. Our stuff's floating around. That river in the meadow, like, that's what I'm in. I'm going to float right by this wedding. I was freaking out. I was freaking out. Luckily, we weren't too far from the wedding, and some friends came with a truck and pulled us out. And I get back to this wedding, soaking wet, head to toe, in my suit, thinking, what in the world? What was going through my head? The DJ told me to go right. He knew what was going to happen if I went left. He knew what was going to happen. Yet I still, I still went left. You see, I had my plan, what was convenient for me, what was going to make me comfortable. Look what that led to. But the DJ, he knew, and he told me the right path to take was to go right. And for many of us, that's actually the way we're living our lives. I'm going to go left. I'm going to choose my plan, my degree, what I want, what's convenient for me, what's comfortable for me. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm choosing to go left. But you see, God knows what will happen if we go left, and he knows what it looks like to go right. And he's laid out his plan for our lives and his plan for the world. And he shows us what it looks like to go right. And so tonight, I'm gonna walk from Genesis to Revelation showing you what God's plan is, what it looks like to go right. And each and every one of us in this room is gonna have to answer the question, do I wanna go left after my plan, what I want, or am I gonna go right after God and his plan? So I'm going to start where God starts, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve in the very first command ever given, Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But chapter 3, man sins, it gets so bad, God decides to flood the earth and start again with a man named Noah. And as Noah is walking off the ark, he hears this from God, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You see, from the very beginning, God had a plan. And his plan was that his people would fill his creation and worship him. But man sins again. And they all gather together at the Tower of Babel. And so God decides to go down and scatter the nations across the earth. And that's the context we get to in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 may be one of the most foundational chapters in the whole Bible. Genesis 12, and that's because God chooses one man and his family to reach all nations. That man's name is Abram, better known as Abraham. Look what God says to him in Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your family and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great. God looked down on Abraham and said, bro, I'm going to hook you up. 
I'm going to give you everything you could ever want. You're going to be rich, powerful, famous. It should be an easy decision to go right. Just leave your family. Leave everything you know. Easy decision, right? No, it probably wasn't. He had to give up everything he knew. And I'm sure they were telling him, why would you go there? You don't know what's going to be over there. Stay here. Go left. But you see, Abraham trusted God's promise. He had the promise and blessing of God. And so he chose to go right. He chose to go right into that. But why was God going to bless him with this? Why was God going to do all this for him? The verse keeps going. So that you will be a blessing, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You see, God wasn't going to bless Abraham just for his own sake. He was going to bless him so that all nations could be blessed. He was blessed to be a blessing. And get used to that, because that is the pattern God uses throughout the rest of the Bible, throughout the rest of history, all the way to us now, that we are blessed by God to be a blessing to all nations. It's not just for us. He wants us to share that blessing. And so this is how he moves his mission. And the same is true with Abraham's son, Isaac. I will multiply your offspring, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And to his grandson, Jacob, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and in you and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. On and on. God is pushing his mission forward by blessing his people to be a blessing. Even us. God is blessing us. He's giving us blessings so that we can leverage them to bless all nations. Like even the fact that we get to get an education. That is God blessing us so that we can use those blessings to bless all nations. We're blessed to be a blessing. So God is pushing this story throughout the whole Bible. And all the famous stories we know, like Daniel in the lion's den, the fiery furnace, the dedication of the temple, Solomon's wisdom, the plagues in Egypt, even the most famous Bible story that everyone on this campus knows. Everyone on this campus knows this story. David and Goliath, right? Everyone knows it. It's the plot of every sports movie we've ever seen, right? Right? Like from scene one, we know little guys are going to beat the big guys. Now, if you're a little rusty on the details, let me just sum up this story for you. Short dude, tall dude, awesome headshot. Right? Like that's the story of David and Goliath. Now, I always thought that this story was for me to understand that as long as God is on my side, there's nothing that can stand against me. There's no giant big enough. And that's true. That is true. But it is not the main theme of this story. And David knew it. David knew it. Look what he says to Goliath as he approaches him on the battlefield. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Puny little preteen David going up to fight the most deadly man alive, no fear. Because he knew the promise. He knew that God was going to bless him with victory, not for his own sake, but so that the whole earth would know that there's a God in Israel. He was blessed to be a blessing. He chose to go right into that, even though he's just a little boy. 
The rest of the army, the people actually trained to fight Goliath, they were sitting in camp scared because they didn't trust the promise. They chose what was comfortable, what was convenient for them, their plan. They chose to go left and sit in camp. That's why God used David to be a blessing. And that's why God is still using this story to make his name famous. Because David chose to go right. And God used him through that. And so this is the story he's put through the whole Bible. All the stories in every book of the Bible, even in the Psalms, and the famous ones like this one that we all know and love, right? Be still and know that I am God. We love this verse, right? Like it's our war cry during finals week. Be still and know that I'm God. Yes, Lord. We love it, right? We buy the coffee mug with it. We write it all over our journal. We paint it on canvases, right, guys? Be still and know that I am God. We love it. But every time, every time I look at this verse, I could never get past the reference. Like, what is that little A doing there? None of my other canvases had that A. What is that doing there? I had to do some extensive research to figure out why we throw that A on there. And basically, what I found out was we put the A there because we don't like the second half of the verse. We're not going to bore you with it. You don't need to know it. No one actually looks up these verses. We'll just throw the A on there and be good. Be still and know that I am God. But I had to know. I had to know. Because it had to be awful. It had to be really bad to ruin this verse, right? What could possibly ruin it? What, is, what does it say? Be still and know that I am God and no bacon on Thursdays? Like, what? <laughs> How? Are, it's it's got to be pretty bad. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. We've become so good at separating the blessing from the responsibility that comes with it. In junior high, I had this amazing idea that I should play basketball. Now, no one bothered to tell me that I was short, slow, and uncoordinated, but I did make the team at the coveted position of backup point guard. For the backup point guard. <laughs> but I didn't mind. I didn't play much, but I didn't mind because I didn't join the team to play. I just wanted to hang out with my friends, go to the games, have fun at practice. I actually got really good at hiding at the end of the bench behind the big guys. Really good. Now, I don't remember much about my long career as a basketball player, but I do remember one game. And that's because my coach saw me and put me in. And so I get out there on the court, take the warm-up off, and I'm like, all right, I have to play. I have to play now. Might as well try to help out my team. So what's the score? I have to look up at the scoreboard. When I look at it, like something was wrong. Like something had to be wrong with the scoreboard because the time said there was only one second left in the whole game. My coach put me in for one second. To this day, I cannot live that down. 
My friends still make fun of me. The game of one second. And I realized, I realized that I had wasted not only that whole game, but the whole season. I had wasted it hiding at the end of the bench. I wanted to be identified as a player, wear the jersey, but I didn't want to take responsibility for the game. Was was that the way I was living my Christian life too? I want to be identified as a Christian. I want to sit in the pew, hide at the end of the, the row, but I'm not taking responsibility for that. Like, I don't want to go share the gospel with my classmates, with my friends. I don't want to reach out to those international students. I'm content to hide at the end of the bench. But guys, God's called us to something so much bigger. He invites us to be a blessing. He invites us to be a light to the gospel. Look what he says in Isaiah. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. I'll make you a light to the nations, not to hide at the end of the bench. So often we make missions a burden, like something we have to do, but it doesn't doesn't sound like a burden to me. A blessing, a light, doesn't sound like a burden. God's inviting us to be a part of the greatest mission that has ever taken place. And yet, we settle for hiding at the end of the bench. And he says it's too light a thing. It's too small a thing for you to just reach your own people, for you to just reach Ball State. That is too small a vision. Yes, start here. Start in this campus, in this city, in this state. But don't let it stop there, because God's heart is so much bigger than that. He loves all nations, and he wants us to be the ones to take it there, to be the blessing, to be the light to the end of the earth. And so that's the story he put through the whole Bible, throughout the whole Old Testament, and even into the New. Because when we flip the page, we get four books on the life of Jesus. And his life was a life spent on mission. If you don't believe me, let's look at the most famous verse in the whole Bible. John 3, 16. For God so loved the... Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. My whole life I was taught to take out the world and plug my name in. For God so loved Wes. And that's true. That's true. For God so loved each and every one of us in this room. But the problem is we never take our name back out and put back the world. Because God's made it clear that he has a heart for the world, not just us. And this, this right here is the gospel, that Jesus came down to earth to live a perfect life and to die on a cross for us, for our sins, our guilt, our shame, And he took all that on. And when he died, he gave us his grace, mercy, his righteousness, his perfect record for us. And he died and spent three days in the grave. But then we know he rose. Then he spent 40 days on earth, 
And during those 40 days, we get what's called the Great Commission, Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now we've termed this the Great Commission, but it sounds very similar to another verse in Mark, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. But then another one in Luke, repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And then in John, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then another one in Acts, you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Five different verses in five different books, Jesus commanded his disciples to go. Why did he repeat himself? Why did he repeat himself? Because he knew my heart. He knew if it was only one verse at the end of Matthew, I could push that aside. I could ignore one verse. But he made it very clear, very clear that this is not an option to be considered. This is a command to be obeyed. God has laid out his heart for us. He's laid out his heart for the world. And he asks us, does your heart look like mine? Do you love all nations like I do? When, when I first started to date my wife, I lived in a house with seven other guys. We called it the dude ranch. It was disgusting. And between the endless hours of video games, every stupid show you could find on Netflix, watching the Bulls, I just had no time for any of her interests. I just had no time. But the more I started to care for her, the more I noticed something. I started to enjoy the things she enjoyed. Like soon enough, I had a Pinterest. <laughs> and I have seen every episode of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> and when Luke finally kisses Lorelai, tears. <laughs> because you see... The more you care about someone, the more you'll care about the things they care about. You'll love the things they love. And the same is true with our relationship with God. The more time we spend in his word, in prayer, the more our heart will look like his. We'll love the things he loves. But guys, when I choose to go left, my plan, what I want, what makes me comfortable in my convenience. When Christians decide to go left, choose what they want, this is what the world looks like. When Christians go left, this is what the world looks like. If you can't read it, each dot on that map represents 50,000 people. The blue are Christians and the red are non-Christians. And we highlight that little box there, it's called the 1040 window goes from 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude, from West Africa all the way out past East Asia. And we highlight that window because in there are 97% of the world's unreached people. Now, unreached doesn't mean that they simply don't follow Jesus. There are people all over this campus, all over this city that don't follow Jesus. What unreached means is they don't follow him, and they couldn't even if they wanted to because they have no access. They may have never met a Christian. The Bible may not be in their language. There's no church in their city. 
They have no access. They'll live their whole lives growing up, going to school, getting a job, having a family, growing old, and not once have the chance to hear the gospel that we get to talk about every single day. And when Christians choose to go left, that leaves three billion people without a hope of ever hearing the greatest news of any of our lives. And God's heart breaks because he loves them and he came to die for them. And he told us to go and be a blessing. He told us to be the light to the end of the earth. But when we choose to go left. And Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, he made it his goal that that wouldn't happen. Look what he says in Romans. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. He made it his goal in life to make sure the 1040 window wouldn't exist to go where the gospel hadn't been yet. And he tells us how we can do that too, again in Romans. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? He lays it out really simply. We can go and preach or we can send others to go and preach. And the part two is gonna be all about how do I practically do this? How do I actually live this out? And so definitely stick around and learn how you can do these things, even tomorrow, to learn next steps that you can go and send. So I'm just gonna highlight a few things. Now we can go here and we can go there. And when I say go here, I don't mean just evangelism. And the reason I don't mean that is because I already hope that that's happening. If you don't know how to share your faith, if you don't know how to share your testimony, talk to the staff, talk to upperclassmen. They would love to help you figure out how to share the gospel and go out on campus and do that. But when I say go here, I mean specifically reaching out to internationals. There are international students all over this country. There's over a million international students in this country. And we can go and share the gospel right on our doorsteps, right down the hall. We can reach out to the nations. The top sending countries are all from the 1040 window. And many of those students may go back home after studying here for a few years and not once have the opportunity to hear the gospel after that. But right now, they're in our cities, in our states, and we have the opportunity to share the gospel. So when I say go here, I mean reaching out to internationals. Now we can also go there. We can take those trips over overseas sharing the gospel. Crew has a ton of opportunities all over the world that you can go. You can go to East Asia next summer with your friends and get to share the gospel. That's an amazing opportunity. Take those opportunities. Because I don't know if anyone's told you this, but when you graduate, summer break doesn't exist anymore. I don't know if anyone's told you that, but use those times wisely. You're not getting them back. Go, share the gospel. You can go on spring break trips. If you're not comfortable with crossing a culture, go stateside. Grow closer with your walk with Christ. Learn how to share the gospel and grow. And then the summer after, go overseas. Crew has a ton of opportunities. 
So go, go here, go there. And we can also send by praying and giving. We can pray for missionaries. We can pray for the unreached, our friends who are stinting or on a summer mission. We can pray for them. And we can also give. We can support them financially. And so one last thing about this. Every time I see go and send, I automatically think A team, B team, right, like varsity and JV. And that's not true. It's not true. Someone who goes as a missionary is not more spiritual than someone who stays and sins. But in the same way that going is not more spiritual, sending should be no less sacrificial. If someone is giving up their whole life to take the gospel, we should be giving up our whole life to make sure they get there. And guys, I know this may seem daunting to go, to send, but we serve a a God who cannot fail. And he's promised us that he will reach all nations. And he shows us a picture of heaven. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You see, contrary to popular belief, heaven is not going to be a bunch of Americans singing Chris Tomlin songs. (laughs) All nations will be there. Every language will be represented. And God has invited us to be a part of that. He's invited us to bring the nations to him, to his throne. We can be a part of bringing people to heaven. He invites us to join him in that. He wants us to be the blessing, be the light, to stop going left and choosing small things and to start following after him and joining him in the only thing that will last. And so at the beginning, I asked you a question. Do you want to go left after your plan, your convenience, or do you want to join God in what he's doing and go right? So on your chairs, you should have had a little card. Looks like this. Go ahead and pull that out. Go ahead and pull that out. On it, it has a lot of the verses I went through and a few more. So check those out. Make sure I didn't make all of this up. Look at it for yourself. But on the back, there's a commitment. It says, I commit myself to be a cross-cultural goer or a sacrificial sender. And in a minute, I'm going to pray for you guys. And anyone who wants to make that commitment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. But first, what does it mean? Does it mean I have to book my one-way ticket to Ooga Booga Land and give 100% of my money to missions? No. It can. I won't stop you. Go for it. But what it simply means is I want to take that next step. I want to take that next step in joining God in what he's doing. And it's going to be different for each and every one of you. For some, it may mean I'm going to stint when I graduate. Maybe I'm going on a cruise summer mission, going for spring break. Maybe it means I'm going to just reach out to the international students in my class. Maybe I'm going to start supporting my friend who's going next summer. Maybe I'm going to just start praying for the world. It's going to be different for each and every one of you. It may mean just to look through these verses because this is all new. Just means I'm going to take that next step. And don't worry, I'm not going to collect these. It's just between you and God. So if you guys want to close your eyes and bow your heads, I'm going to pray for you. And if you want to make that commitment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand high above your head right now. 
Raise your hand high above your head if you want to make that commitment to take the next step. Whatever it is for you, raise your hands high so I can see you and pray for all of you guys. Raise them right now and keep them up. Father God, I, I want to thank you for everyone in this room, Lord. I want to thank you that you have brought us here to hear the gospel, Lord. I pray that if we haven't taken that step to follow you, Lord, I pray that we consider that step, that we find someone to talk to after this meeting, Lord, to consider what it looks like to follow you. Lord, I want to pray for everyone who's raising their hands, Lord. I pray that you encourage them and challenge them and give them direction on how you would have them join you in what you're doing. Lord, I want to just pray for everyone, Lord, that, that as we go from here, that we would continue to pursue you and seek a relationship with you. We thank you, and it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Wes. Hey, just a couple quick announcements real fast before we jump back into worship. Um, you guys heard about the part two earlier. Man, a lot of you and a lot of us just need to learn more, right? And so make sure you stick around for the part two. We're only going to take about 20 minutes. Um, so like I said earlier, we're going to meet in the lobby right out here and walk over to Woodworth together. So as soon as we're done here, um, go on over there. We'll circle up, meet, and um, we'll be done in about 20 minutes. And then also, while we're over there for part two, we'd love to help you guys find some great resources. So we have free stuff to give you. Also, we have some books, um, and this is one of my favorite ones I wanted to highlight. Um, it's called Pray for the World, and it's really easy. You'll never forget what it's for. Um, it's got every country in it and specific ways you can pray for it, so it's a great resource to have for your own personal prayer life and maybe even for a Bible study, but with that, we'll see you guys at the part two. Thanks. <laughs>